Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You know, rarely have I been happier to have guests on the show than I am right now as we welcome to WILK the legendary radio icon, Dr. Demento. Good morning, doctor. Wind up your radio. Hello, Sue. Hello, oh, Luke, my, oh, my goodness. I've waited all my life to hear you say that, and now you have, so I'm going home. <laughs> Don't do that. We all right. Talk a little bit. And we'll stick around, and also uh, the producer of the fabulous new record, which I have heard, Dr. Demento, covered in punk, John Caffiero. John, welcome. It's great to hear your voice as well. Hey, Sue, thanks so much for having us, and it's great to hear you opening up the segment with my band, Osaka Popstar, doing my favorite demented track, Fish Heads. You know what? Is it a coincidence, John, or something further? Uh, <laughs> I think it's a little of both. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, yeah, you're the guy that, uh, John, you put this together. You went to Dr. Demento, and you, you had this concept because you love punk rock music like I do, and you, you sang on a Misfits song, which I think is amazing. And, uh, oh, you were, thank you. And I saw them in Chicago at that uh, reunion tour they had in, in uh, what was it, 2016, and they were fabulous. And uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I worked for 14 years to see that um, come to fruition. I also managed the Misfits, and I've worked with them creatively and in a business capacity for 20 years now. You are an amazing person then, and you produced Ramones Raw, which I also own, so you're in my heart, too. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. That was another labor of love for me. It was really an honor to get to do it. So how did you persuade the doc that this was a fine idea? And how did you persuade these artists to cut these songs, which, of of course, I would be sweating bullets because they're so well-loved, you know, like shaving cream. Who doesn't love that song? Oh, I don't know. I I certainly love it. It was my introduction to the whole world of Dr. Demento. I first heard it when I was about six or seven years old and haven't looked back. I've continued to just get further and further into uh, the rabbit hole of the the world the doc has created ever since. And this project is just the next step forward and extension of it. Uh, It's uh, like everything else that I do. It really is a labor of love. It's something that I'm genuinely passionate about. And I think that that comes across with the people that I work with, that sincerity and that belief in the project, and I think it's contagious and infectious. And that's really, I think, how the doc became interested and the various artists. I think people just believed in the concept, and um, the end result speaks for itself. I couldn't be happier with the way that it turned out. What do you think, Doc? I think that the novelty records are kind of punk rock in their own right, aren't they? They're kind of rebellious, and they sort of... Oh, absolutely. You know, I played the Sex Pistols and especially the Ramones when they first came on the scene back in 1976. So this, this was a natural for me to get back into it. I understand that uh, in your lifetime, you've always been attracted to music. Even when you were a little kid out there in the Midwest, you were collecting records and, uh, you know. I started real early, right. My, my folks had a record collection. My dad played the piano, so there was always music around the house. 
And uh, when, when did you find your first novelty songs back in the day when you were a kid? What really struck you? And, and why did you take to these novelty songs and these, these off-tracks? Well, uh, uh, when I was four years old, my dad brought home uh, a copy of Cocktails for Two by Spike Jones, which was brand new at the time. And that's got gunshots and all kinds of noises, and it's fast and fast and loud like punk rock. So, so uh, being four years old, I was immediately attracted to that. Uh, and uh, just heard more funny songs, along with all other kinds of music as I grew up. Uh, I would uh, get the humor along with everything else. I was a, a rock and roll fan in the golden era, the 50s. I uh, loved Elvis and Blue Suede Shoes and Little Richard and all that stuff. But uh, at that time, there was always funny songs on the radio along with Little Richard and uh, whatever. Uh, so there was almost always a, a novelty song on the radio, whether it was the Monster Mash or... or, or the purple people eater or transfusion transfusion i'm just a solid mess of contusions never 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 going to speed again pass the clear to me barrett uh, nervous nervous there yeah and that's how you got demented right it was over that song that somebody called you demented in the first place right yeah that's a short version of the story <laughs> and that's good to know now uh, we all uh, we all love radio all three of us that are talking now let's let's not kid ourselves uh, sure. how did you combine your your love of these beautiful novelty records and in these off tracks with a, a desire to be on the radio. How did you know this was your calling? Well, I, I love playing records, so I thought, why don't I play records for other people? I'd uh, amuse my friends with records that I had, and, and then I got the chance to play records for the Sock Hops at my high school in Minneapolis. Uh, after the basketball game, people take off their shoes and they dance in the gym, and so I had the most records of anybody in the school, so I, I brought my own, and uh, uh, oh, there was one time... Uh, Jailhouse Rock by Elvis had just come out, and uh, I, I found out that it was going to be played on Dick Clark's American Bandstand the next day. So I rushed home and taped it on a tape recorder before the record was available in Minneapolis. I brought the tape to the sock hop, and as soon as Elvis started to sing, every girl in the whole place went, Elvis! <laughs> so I, I felt a little feeling of power there. So thank you, King. Uh, that, that, that was a, a moment of inspiration that led me uh, sometime later to become a disc jockey. Now, when you um, were, were first syndicated in the 70s, how did that happen for you? Like, how did somebody say, we got to get this guy on across the country in the, the old days of syndication where they used to... How did your thing even get delivered to the stations? Was it on record or was it on tape? It was originally on tape. Uh, then it was on vinyl discs for quite a while, and mm -hmm. then finally on CD. But it all—it was purely a matter of ratings. Uh, uh, there, after I'd been on the on the radio for about two and a half years, uh, suddenly looked at the new rating book, and there I was—the number one rated show of any kind uh, in Los Angeles on Sunday night. I beat all the AM stations and everybody. So uh, people thought, oh, that, that might play, that might be good to play in Wilkes-Barre or maybe Peoria. <laughs> it was on in, in Scranton on the radio station for many, many years. As, oh, as yes. You are ac actually right about that. And um, when you were playing these songs at first, uh, you know, some of them are a little bit uh, risque. They're a little bit oh, yeah. edgy. Do you, you, when you look at the culture today, and it's such a PC culture, are there any songs that you played that you think you could not get away with in this day and age? There are a few. Not too many, but there are a few. Uh, it's oddly enough, uh, 
uh, songs making fun of gay people were were kind of okay when I started. Then then they were really on the outs. But now at least certain ones people seem to be able to accept again as as part of the past, like CB Savage and songs like that, and, and Big Bruthy Woothy. And, <laughs> But that was that was actually a minor hit back in the, in the seventies, Big Bruce. So and and those those I can get away with once in a while. It kind of all depends on on the attitude. But you're, you're right. There, uh, so anything having to do in any way with race relations is real touchy. For sure. I remember you had a song. Um, she's big and round. Can you get away with that one anymore? Or no. Oh well. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I can see how a certain women, especially, would be upset with that. I have not heard any uh, any static over that. It, of course, that only gets on maybe every couple of years. Sure, or so. but I remember it, uh, John. Yeah. Let's, I want to talk to you too about putting this together because, sure. man, what a lineup on this thing from uh, the the cutting edge people like the lovely Colleen Green, who is awesome. To absolutely, yeah, I mean, I'm a fan myself. Oh I love my gosh, Colleen I love stuff. her. She's fabulous. Um, Philadelphia, we have to get Philadelphia in here because the Eagles, Philly's own, the dead milkmen are on here. And Philly boy Roy himself. Oh, my goodness gracious. So you knew in advance this was going to happen, and this is how you drew it up in practice, right? Yeah, well, I kind of was the architect of the entire thing. It was really this crazy idea that I had that I just wanted to see come to fruition, and I built it brick by brick. I mean, literally, each and every aspect of this record from start to finish is something that I did personally. And um, it really was a labor of love, but it was certainly a huge undertaking. The project went on from the time I first pitched it to Dr. Demento to actually having it 100% completed and ready to go to press was about four years. But granted, I worked on other things in between, so it was a little bit of on and off, but it still was quite the undertaking. And literally, you've got 33 new tracks produced specifically for this record, plus a total of 64 tracks with the whole radio show that encompasses it, because it's a two-hour, it's really two hours and four minutes, two discs on CD, three discs on vinyl, program where it's just a bizarro episode, a punk rock-themed episode of the Dr. Demento show, complete with the opening theme, the jingles, the bumpers, and the doc himself front and back announcing all the tracks, sharing interesting factoids and anecdotes about the songs or the bands, um, and then the tracks themselves. So it's really a, a, a whole world that you get. Uh, not to mention there's a rich booklet that's got tons of artwork, liner notes, a lot of great stuff to learn and read and just have fun with about the whole world of Dr. Demento that I hope people enjoy. But um, really, every band on there is somebody that I thought would be a great contribution to the record or have the right personality to represent the different shades of gray and punk rock and then just mix up with some cool personalities. Now, this... Uh combining of Weird Al Yankovic with this classic Beat on the Brat by the Ramones. Uh, How was that envisioned, and uh, did Weird Al jump at the chance? I always wanted, I really did envision Al as sort of the finale of the record. I wanted to see Al do sort of a quote-unquote demented spin on a punk classic for the grand finale, being that Al is the most successful, funny music artist of all time, and that he was born of the Dr. Demento show. So when I pitched Al on doing Beat on the Brat, he loved the idea. He loved the idea of the record generally. He's a huge fan of the Ramones, and was also really interested in having the opportunity to do 
a quote-unquote straight yet demented song because we both agreed that the original lyrics to Beat on the Brat were demented enough just as they were written by the Ramones, so there was no reason for him to parody the lyrics. And uh, Al was an absolute pleasure to work with, and I had the honor of, really, it's my band, Osaka Popstar, that backs him up with Al on lead vocals and accordion, um, the cadence backing vocal behind him, and we had a blast recording that in the studio. It was great. Beautiful. Doc, what did you think about Weird Al when he first started to contact you with his uh, odd ideas? Well, he sent me a tape, a cassette tape that had been made on uh, one of those early cassette recorders with the piano keys on the front uh, and the self-contained microphone, and he was able to make it sound pretty darn good. He, he had already figured out, before he sent me the very first tape, he'd already figured out how to make his voice project uh, so that you could hear the lyrics, and the lyrics were funny right away from that very first song, uh, and then they kept getting better and better, so uh, uh, that, that was a no-brainer once I started getting things from him. Well, he must give you a lot of credit for for his giant success. I mean, for years and years and years, he has managed to stay fresh and put out things that people still find are, are amusing. So is he send you, sending you some $20 bills in the mail or anything? <laughs> I don't know about that, but but he gives he gives me uh, lots of props. Uh, he's always g- good about saying how he started uh, by listening to the radio with his head tucked his head in the radio tucked under the pillow, uh, because you know he lis- he he discovered the show uh, just tuning across the dial, and then he had the he had the show on his bedside radio once, and I just happened to be playing. Davy's got the cutest little dinghy in the navy, and his mother happened to come into the room, you turn that off, I will not have that filth in the house. And, uh, so he had to uh, conceal it for a while, but he'd hear, he'd hear Alan Sherman, Spike Jones, Stan Freeberg, all those great parodists and satirists of the past, and he, he gradually thought, hey, I can do that. And meanwhile, he was learning to play the accordion, uh, not so much uh, by learning Old Sola Mio and, and Lady of Spain, uh, but by... No, he, he had bought a new Elton John album, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, and he decided, I'm going to teach myself to play every song on that album on the accordion. So that's kind of how he developed his accordion style. You know what? It is so great for both of you to take the time to be with us today. I can't think of a finer pairing of people to appear on radio that we could talk to about Dr. Demento covered in punk than Dr. Demento himself. I'm a, as I've already confessed to you, Dr. Demento, I'm a, a longtime fan of yours and you had, did, you did so much to make our lives uh, so much happier. So thank you. Uh, well, thank you, Sue. It was great to hear you say that. And uh, John Caffiero, you two have brought me uh, so much joy <laughs> with your work. And oh, thank uh, you. I, just the convergence here I, I find to be uh, phenomenal. And I hope people check out these discs. They're wonderful. You have a great series of artists on them, everyone from Joan Jett to Brack from Space Coast. I mean, you <laughs> yeah. can't lose that way, right? Not at all. You've got pretty much everybody under the sun here. There's there's definitely something for everybody, and there's uh, an eclectic uh, an eclectic personality for each and every taste. This it's pretty exciting. I'm really, really, genuinely thrilled with the way this project turned out, and all of the great people that came on board to be a part of it. So, are you going to be with the Misfits in in May during this uh, reunion show? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it's that's going to be amazing. I mean, I'm I'm here based on the East Coast, so we're all originally from New Jersey, 
and um, we're very excited. I mean, it's 34 years in the making now, 34 years since the original Misfits played their hometown. And uh, literally, it'll be the first time they've ever played an arena in their hometown. So we're very excited about the show. It's May 19th at the Prudential Center. It went on sale on Friday, and it sold out on knew Friday. It. Yeah, I knew it would be, and uh, <laughs> it's it's a phenomenal thing. So um, I, I can't thank you both enough for being on the show today. It was so fabulous, and uh, the best of luck to the two of you. Thank you so much, Sue. And uh, if any of your listeners are interested and want to know more about the record, they could sample tracks or order online at coveredinpunk.com. And we hope they'll check us out. And uh, we'd just love to say that we're thrilled that it's now the number one record, uh, the number one comedy album in Billboard for two consecutive weeks. And it deserves to be there. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. And also check out drdemento.com. I still do a new show, brand new show, every single week, drdemento.com. Wind up your radios. Yes. See you Don't forget to stay demented. Oh, thank you so much. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.